After I finished last week's lesson, I thought that I was done with the short series that I was teaching on sickness and disease and healing uh, and the will of Yahweh and doctors and medicine. I thought I was finished with that sermon series and I received some questions though and some comments after the lesson last week. And I want to take this lesson, this sermon to review some things that I've talked about and to answer some of the questions that I have been asked about some of the things that I have said. I'll open up with a little bit of overview of everything that I've taught up to this point for about the last four lessons. It is not always Yahweh's will for you to be healthy or for Yahweh to heal you. That's not something you're going to hear a lot from preachers. That is the truth, though. It is not always Yahweh's will. This does not mean that we should be lazy and not seek for help and seek for healing. What I mean, though, is that it's just a reality of living here on the earth in this life in a body of sin and a fallen world. As humans, we deal with all kinds of problems, anything from a cut finger to depression to cancer and I praise and thank Yahweh that in His mercy He can heal and oftentimes He does heal but He is not obligated to and sometimes He chooses not to and the moment that we finally get that in our minds that He is Yahweh and His will is paramount In any given circumstance, we will be at peace with whatever He chooses, knowing that as believers, we will receive new bodies at the resurrection of the just and will live forever, not just in an immortal body that can't get sick or die, but in a beautiful, heavenly kingdom. A person who is diseased or sick in body and never gets healed in this life is not less of a person nor are they less of a believer if they are in the family of Yahweh. It is very sad that some people think that they are less. And I am afraid, and I say this with the fear of Yahweh, but I am afraid that something bad may have to happen to some people in order to humble them and cause them to see their error. I would encourage everybody here, everybody listening to me, to humble themselves before Yahweh has to humble you. Either way, we're going to be humbled. I want to encourage everybody to humble yourself and be compassionate and kind to other people who deal with things differently than you do. One thing that I've been asked is this. What about the blessings of Deuteronomy 28, Brother Matthew? Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be thy coming and thy going. Everybody, Most everybody knows that chapter here. And the thought moves into the curses as well. Blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. So if we obey Yahweh, shouldn't we always expect the blessings and never the curses? Some people think that. But if that's the case, what about people like Job? What about Paul's thorn in the flesh that he prayed three times to get rid of and Yahweh said, no, it's staying, it needs to stay. 
What about the blind man who was born blind and lived blind not because of any sin in John chapter 9? What about Rachel, Jacob's wife? She died while she was giving birth to Benjamin. What about Timothy's frequent illnesses and stomach pains that we talked about last week? See, it's never wise to only focus on one verse or one text to the neglect of everything that the Scripture has to say. We want to get a proper understanding. We've got to take it all in and then harmonize it the best that we know how. Come to a reasoned conclusion. If you studied the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 28 is about national blessings and national curses. And not necessarily individual cases inside of the nation. Deuteronomy 28 was written to the nation of Israel and those who would join themselves to the nation of Israel and become honorary Israelites. If Israel as a nation were governed by and followed the law, blessings would come on a large scale. The flip side was true as well. If they as a nation chose to throw away Yahweh's law and live however they pleased, they would be cursed on a large scale. Now what this does not mean though, catch this, what this does not mean is that an individual person or persons inside of that nation could not be blessed when the nation was being cursed or could not be cursed when the nation was being blessed. The point here is that national blessings for obedience does not mean that people, individual people inside that nation never get sick or never die. If someone teaches that blessings always mean that you never get sick, then they would have to teach that blessings means that you never die. Because remember, death is the greatest sickness of all. It gets everybody. And the most popular faith preachers can't pray you out of death. You're still going to die at one time or another. So a nation could be tremendously blessed on a large scale for obedience, yet in the midst of that blessing, a righteous person inside of that nation could still get sick and die. And it doesn't mean that the person was in individual rebellion. It just points to our human frailty and our temporary body. So even a person who gets sick and dies still lives a better overall life by obeying Yahweh's commandments than someone who doesn't. You catch that? Somebody who gets sick and dies as a commandment keeper, they still live a better overall life in obedience than someone who doesn't obey the commandments. So the commandments themselves are the blessings of life, but that does not exempt us from individually getting sick or disease due to our fallen humanity as a whole. That's something we went over in Romans chapter 8, I think in part 2 of this sermon series. Another text that somebody brought up to me is found in Mark 5. Let's go there. Mark 5, beginning at verse 25, and we're going to read through verse 34. Mark 5:25 through 34. It says, "A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Yeshua, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his robe. For she said, If I can just touch his robes, I'll be made well. Instantly her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was cured of her affliction. 
At once Yeshua realized in himself that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my robes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and you say, Who touched me? So he was looking around to see who had done this. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came with fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. Uh, The point here is that the woman had spent all of her money on doctors, which probably includes different forms of medicine, whatever they had back then at that time. And she didn't get any better. She only got worse. And she'd been bleeding for 12 years. And her healing didn't come through doctors or through medicine, but her healing came instantaneously from or directly from our Messiah by the power of the Father. So somebody said, why go to a doctor? Her healing came through the Messiah. Well, again, if this was the only verse that we had on the subject in Scripture, then we might conclude that that we shouldn't go to a doctor. But there are other verses like we went through last week that show that sometimes people do get well through the agency of doctors and medicine. The point here in Mark 5 is a point that I did bring up last week, and that is this, and it's a simple point, but it's all through the Bible. Yahweh can heal somebody supernaturally. So just because I believe or you believe in doctors, or if you believe in doctors and in medicine, and that Yahweh can heal through that through those means and through that agency, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden we don't believe that someone can be endowed with the gift of healing and supernaturally by the power of Yahweh instantaneously heal somebody that is sick. That's what happened to this woman here, and we should praise Yahweh for this. We should praise Yahweh that if we pray for someone, even if we don't have the gift of healing, If we pray for someone to be healed and they're healed, we should praise Yahweh. If they go to the doctor and the doctor says, I don't know what happened, it was here, but now it's gone, we praise Yahweh. But we don't praise Yahweh any less when someone is healed through other means because people can be healed either way. Yahweh makes those decisions. In this case, he had a woman who'd been sick for 12 years healed instantaneously simply by touching the tassel on Yeshua's tunic. So, Brother Jerry is a good example here. He was healed by Yahweh, but it was through the agency of doctors by way of a liver transplant. And we praise Yahweh for that healing. And we're thankful for that. Remember that text in John 5? I won't turn there, but there's a text in John 5 that we went over in one of the sermons in the series where Yeshua healed the lame man on the Sabbath day. He'd been sick for 38 years and he sat by the pool of Bethesda. And there are some later manuscripts of the New Testament that say that there was an angel that came from heaven and would come down and stir up the waters there at the pool. And when the waters were stirred up, all the sick people would try to get into the pool so that they could be the first one and be healed by a miracle. Well, we praise Yahweh that even though this man that had been lame for 38 years didn't get in the pool fast enough, that Yeshua came by that day and healed him just like that. And it was a Sabbath day. And some people got upset, but we learned from our master that it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. And so he healed that man, and we praise Yahweh for that healing. So we praise Yahweh for that, but a lot of times we gloss over verse 3 in that fifth chapter of John. And verse 3 says this, 
Within these, talking about the people that were there, within these lay a multitude of sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed. In other words, that lame man wasn't the only sick person there. There was a multitude of sick people there. And Yeshua healed one of them. One of them out of the multitude. Why didn't He heal all of them? There's only one answer that I can think of. And that is, it was not Yahweh's will for all of them to be healed then and there. It's the only answer I can think of. Some of them may have been suffering for their sin and needed to suffer. Some of them may have been suffering due to the general fall of humanity as a whole that stems back from the Garden of Eden. Some may have just been going through a trial and Yahweh was teaching them something through their sickness. Some of them may have been healed later in their earthly life and some may not experience healing until the life to come. But Yahweh's purpose is always paramount and His purpose is not the same for everyone. It doesn't mean, if you're a believer in Yahweh and in His Messiah, it doesn't mean just because His purpose for you is not the same as the woman in Mark 5 or the man that was healed in John 5. If your purpose is not exactly like theirs, it does not mean that Yahweh loves you any less. It's just not His purpose in that case. Someone also mentioned to me about the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. And the point was brought up to me that the centurion who walked up to Yeshua and he said, My servant is terribly ill, Master. And Yeshua said, Okay, we'll go. And he said, No, you don't have to go. Just speak the word, and I know my servant will be healed. And then he says, There's a lesson in this. Then he tells the master, he says, For I too am a man under authority. I say come and they come. I say go and they go. So if you speak the word, I know that my servant will be healed. And Yeshua said, I haven't seen this kind of faith in Israel. And there will be many people come from all directions. And the children of the kingdom will be cast out. But people like you will be welcomed into the banquet and you'll sit down and dine with Abraham. For I haven't seen this great faith in Israel. Well, the point was brought up to me that the centurion was not rebuked for just going directly to Yeshua and not seeking out a doctor. Well, of course he wasn't rebuked. He went to the Master. If I lived back then and I could visit Yeshua for a healing, you know what I would do? I'd go to the Master. That's who I would go to. I'd bypass every doctor in the land. And I'd go to the Master to see if I would be one that He would heal. And bring a little piece of the kingdom to my life. Prophets, which Yeshua was a prophet. It's not all he was, but he was a prophet. But prophets were given miraculous abilities. And if we lived in the same town or close to a genuine prophet, even today, we may be able to receive a miracle just like this centurion. So these verses prove that miracles happen. Not that a doctor or medicine is never necessary for healing or for health. Somebody also brought up a symbol to me. Look at Numbers 21. Let's turn there. Let's go to this one. Somebody brought up the symbol that is used in modern medicine. And you see it on the side of the back of an ambulance. There's a pole with a snake on it. And us Messianic Torah people, we like to make everything pagan. So the first thing we say is that's pagan. 
I'm not saying that certain things don't stem from paganism. But it's like some people find something pagan behind every rock, nook, and cranny. And I don't believe in that either. But what in the world does a, a pole with a snake on it have to do with doctors and with medicine? Well, I was told that the snake on the pole that you see on the ambulance or as a symbol uh, you know, at the hospital, I was told that the snake was pagan and it symbolized Janus and Jambres that withstood Moses back in Egypt. I was also told that it goes back to the rod of a Greek god named Asclepius. Now, if you do some research on this, you'll find people who say that this symbol that is used in modern medicine goes back to Hermes or Asclepius, which were gods in Greek mythology that were both associated with healing. But I want to think about this a little bit deeper. What people often forget is that it's not only Christians that sometimes borrow things from pagans, it's also pagans that sometimes borrow things from believers, whether they be Hebrews or Christians. And the pagans would borrow certain things because they would see power in them, and then they would incorporate these things into their worship. And we also forget that Satan, that old serpent, attempts to mimic the workings of Yahweh. Now, I brought this point up in a debate that I had once on the virgin birth with a non-believer that denies the Messiah and denies the New Testament. And I was told by him that many of the Greek gods were said to be born of virgins. However, if you study this, you'll never find a one-to-one -one identical copy of what took place in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke with the virgin conception and birth of Yeshua. You'll never find a one-to-one -one identical parallel in Greek mythology. You will find, though, some Greek gods that were born not by the aid of intercourse, but by some other unnatural or strange means. Well, I was told this, the Greek gods were said to be born of virgins, so the story of the virgin conception and birth of our Messiah, what that was was paganism that crept into the biblical text. This is what the guy said in the debate. I posed the question because I was ready for this. So what if it's the other way around? What if Satan, what if the devil knew the promise of Genesis 3.15, which I believe he did, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, serpent standing for, this, for Satan, the adversary, and therefore Satan attempted to mimic that seed of the woman throughout history. In other words, Satan attempted to produce a virgin birth because he wanted to duplicate the plan of Almighty Yahweh from the first mention of the gospel in the book of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, what's sometimes called the Proto-Evangelium. Before the evangels ever get here, this is the gospel that's preached. I'm convinced that's exactly what took place. I believe Satan knew Yahweh's promise that he would save and redeem through the seed of a woman, Genesis 3.15. And so therefore he tried to mimic that to throw people off throughout history. Well, I think that the same thing happened with the snake on the pole. Uh, Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9 is why I think this. This is a strange story, but it is in the Bible and it is actually in the Torah, nevertheless. So, very interesting here. Numbers 21, verse 4, Then they set out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom, but the people became impatient because of the journey. 
the people spoke against the Almighty and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then Yahweh sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against Yahweh and against you. Intercede with Yahweh so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. I preached on this in more detail in my sermon on the second commandment about graven images because there's a lot that people in our community do not understand about that. I think they go overboard about images and icons. I think some people go underboard about images and icons. I have no problem admitting that this is an odd account, yet it is here and it is in the Torah nonetheless. And it was Yahweh that specifically told Moses to make this image of a snake and put it on a pole. And through that image that was lifted up on that pole, the people would look in faith and they would be healed. Healed by what? The, the image? No. Healed by Yahweh through the means that He chose to use. This symbol brings healing to mind because it was by looking at the symbol that healing from the snake bites was granted to the Israelites. And I know people like to think that the modern symbol goes back to Hermes or Asclepius. I believe, though, that the Greeks derived it from this ancient Hebrew account in Numbers because they read about the power that was in the symbol and therefore they used it for their symbol of healing and health and all of that. Now think about this story and look at John chapter 3. Because this account is not only in the Torah, but our Messiah specifically uses this account when He's speaking with Rabbi Nicodemus in John 3. And He says that the snake on the pole was a type of Him being lifted up on a torture stake, on a pole, on a cross. John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. I'll just read the two verses. This is Yeshua speaking. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, that's a reference back to Numbers 21, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. Now, I don't think that Yeshua is saying the Son of Man must be lifted up in the sense of praise, like we say we lift up somebody. I think He's saying, i got to be lifted up on the pole just like the snake. And if you look at me and you believe in me because I'm the one Yahweh sent, you'll have eternal life. Yeshua likens himself to that symbol. So the symbol on the ambulance does not prove anything about doctors and medicine being sorcery. It's just a symbol of healing, which often does come through the aid of doctors and medicine. That is not to say that there are not bad doctors and bad medicine. But that shouldn't be something that makes us say that all doctors are bad and all medicine is bad. 
I want to tackle one last objection that I've gotten in general. And this objection is something that's come to me, and I kind of knew it probably would because this is a hot topic for people in our community. And I still love people even though they say things like this, but the objection is goes something like this. Well, you're just a false teacher teaching people to pop pills and trust man instead of Yahweh. Um, I think a lot of times people speak and write with emotion uh, because they're not able to listen. They're not able to shema. Anybody can hear audibly a sermon. You can hear the words coming out of my mouth, but there's a difference between hearing audibly and actually listening with the intent to understand. It's just like when our kids were little and we told them to do something and they didn't do it. And what will we say? Didn't you listen to me? Or you need to listen to me. Not that they didn't hear you the first time, but this next time you want them to listen with understanding, with the intent to be obedient. You know, I'm just going to say this on this objection, and I say this with kindness in my heart, but it needs to be said, there are some wacky ideas in the Torah community. Wacky. I read some stuff and I see some of the memes that come across my desk because people use meme theology and things like that. And I just shake my head and I do face palms. And People have no compassion. We've lost kindness and compassion. I told that to a lady this past week. We, in the world we've lost kindness and compassion. And it's like we think that crassness and harshness is a gift of the Spirit. People think they're the Rambo of the Messianic movement. Coming in with guns blazing or a big old knife on their side ready to slice everybody and dice everybody. And most of the time that's not how our Messiah was. He said, come to me all you who are heavy burdened and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Meaning attach yourself to me as a rabbi and listen to my teachings and learn from me. Not learn of me. People misquote that. He says, learn from me. The reason he says, come unto me and I'll give you rest is because people were bogged down. They were downtrodden by the way that the scribes and the Pharisees would teach where they would use the law as a hammer to nail people rather than as a map or a guide to show people how to live. Yeshua's teaching methods were gentle and they were lowly and they gave people room and space to grow and they loved people, he loved people where they were at and knew that in time, if they were genuine, it was a good seed in time. They would grow and they would learn. And they would increase in their obedience. Our Messiah was a shepherd of a flock. And Psalm says the rod and the staff of a shepherd was supposed to be a comfort to the sheep. The rod and the staff wasn't to beat the sheep into subjection. It was a comfort to them. It was used in a certain way to lead them and to guide them into subjection. Yeshua did not go out into the crowds and beat up the sheep and tell them how dumb they were. He met them where they were at and He was patient with them. And He often would heal the people of their physical sicknesses and of their demon possession before He would minister and teach. So as a pastor slash shepherd, because in Ephesians chapter 4 when the Bible teaches that after the Messiah went to heaven, He gave gifts to the children of men. And one of the gifts that He gave to the assembly was pastors. And teachers, and if you look up that word pastor in the Greek, it's the same word translated shepherd all through the New Testament. I can't remember the exact Greek word, but you can look, look it up. So as a pastor and a shepherd, I'm called to try my best, even though I don't always do it good, I'm called to try my best to be like the Messiah 
in the way that I teach. There are times for harsh rebuke, but harsh rebuke should always be saved for people who think they're so righteous and nobody else is, and they look down their nose at everybody else. That's who the Messiah saved His harshest rebukes for, the people that thought that they didn't need any help. He told the Pharisees that the tax collectors and the prostitutes would make it into the kingdom of heaven before you guys. Can you imagine? The Pharisees were considered the holiest sect in all of Judaism. They said a tax collector will be in the kingdom before you. Why did he say that? Because the tax collector and the prostitute knew they needed help. And when the Messiah came to town, they sat down and they listened to him and they wanted to hear what he had to say. The Pharisees, ah, we don't need to hear that guy. He couldn't be a prophet. Look at how he hangs out with these commoners. He's not the Messiah. Well, he laid into them. You serpents, you brood of vipers. He laid into those people. So sometimes I do. Sometimes I chat with preachers that's been preaching for 30, 40, 50 years. And you know what? I hold them to a higher level of accountability than somebody that I meet that just doesn't know the truth. Because if a preacher has been preaching for 50 years and he ought to know the Bible backwards and forwards, inside and out, and if he doesn't, he needs to receive a rebuke. But that's not most people. That's not most people. As I talk with most people, I see people who have been dealt different hands in life. They have different circumstances. They've grown up in different homes. They've went through different trials. They have different personalities. And part of my job as a pastor slash shepherd is to be compassionate and listen to everybody's experience. And as I've grown older and I've had more time to teach and to guide and to listen to people, when people talk to you, you need to listen. When people pour their heart out to you, listen to them. Try to get in their shoes. Not easy, but try. I see it so much more clearly now than I did when I first started teaching. And I really, be honest with you, shouldn't I have been teaching when I first started? I was too young. I don't, personally, I don't believe that a man should be a, a pastor or an elder if, if he's not yet 30 years of age. And I could go through, through some scriptures to show you that. But anyhow, over time and spiritual maturity and natural maturity, I've learned you got to love folks where they're at. I heard a preacher say this past week, he called it the Holy Ghost. I don't necessarily like that term. I like Holy Spirit a little bit better. Every time I say Holy Ghost, I think of Casper, right? But he said the Holy Ghost is not here to beat people up. And he said, we've got people in the church that before they even pray a prayer of forgiveness, we got people in the church looking at them and judging them for how they're dressed. And if they're outside smoking in the parking lot and they're trying to get them in a skirt that's long enough or get the cigarette out of their mouth before they even ask for forgiveness or before they even learn the gospel. And I've seen a lot of that too. People try to clean the fish before they catch the fish. It's not our job to clean the fish. It's not our job. That's the Spirit of Yahweh. That's what He does. Matter of fact, if somebody changes because we force them to change, then they're not changing for the right reason. And if we force them, then they might can be forced out of it. 
But if Yahweh's Spirit gets a hold of somebody, you know what happens? There's a change from the inside out and they'll never be the same. No, never, never, never. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I'm not here to browbeat anybody. I had Brother Rocket make me up two signs for the pulpit a long time ago and one of the signs says, Feed my sheep. So I'm reminded to feed the sheep when I preach. And another one over here says, This pulpit is not a whipping post. Meaning you don't beat people into subjection. You give people time to grow and to learn. Because Yahweh gives me time to grow and to learn. And I am not yet where I need to be. So I have to be like that to people. So I'm here to help you. I'm, I recognize sometimes that people need to be counseled to go to a doctor. Sometimes people need to be counseled to talk to a therapist or to take certain medication. You know why? Because we're physical beings. As I said last week, we're also spiritual beings, but a lot of times us spiritually minded folk, we forget the physical part. We're physical beings with physical problems and when a person turns from a sinner to a saint, when a person goes from an unbeliever to a believer, they do not stop being human. You don't all of a sudden stop your humanity when you come to the Messiah. You're still just as much physical as you were before because you're still in this flesh. The resurrection hadn't happened last time I checked. I can pinch myself and it still hurts. <laughs> so all your problems don't just go away when you come to the Messiah. The prosperity gospel teaches that. You want a new house? You want a new suburban? You want a new boat? You want new clothes? You want new floor shines? <laughs> just, just believe in Jesus. He'll give you all that. Nah, you won't find that in the Scriptures. Your problems do not go away when you come to the Messiah. Everybody struggles with something. Everybody struggles with something. It's just that some people in our Torah community as a whole, some people are so harsh when they find somebody that struggles differently than they do. So they pounce on them and they crush them with no compassion and with no care. And that's not of Yahweh and that's not of the Messiah. It's horrible. I believe that people that are always harsh on others are hiding their own sins and their own struggles. And if you are listening to me here or however, if that is you hiding your sins and your struggles, please repent let go of that self-righteousness. Get it out in the open and confess your sins to Yahweh. Find tr a trusted brother or a trusted sister to talk to and to counsel with you because we all have our problems. All of us. So am I a false teacher? I was called one recently. I've been called all kind of things. It's kind of like water off a duck's back now. It doesn't bother me a whole lot, but I'd be lying if I said it didn't bother me at all. So am I a false teacher? Well, Brother Jerry, we've all got something wrong, I believe. We've all got something wrong. I think it's prideful to think that I would have everything figured out. Now, if I knew what I taught falsely, I would change. But I continue to pray and ask Yahweh and study the Bible, and I change as He leads and guides me. But I do believe I've been honest with all of the Scriptures that we've looked at in these lessons. Listen, I'm not trying to get people to just trust in doctors and medicine. I'm trying to get people to see that one way that Yahweh works 
is through doctors and medicine. It's not the only way, but that's one way that he works. That does not mean all doctors and medicine are good, but some of them certainly are a blessing. As a matter of fact, if you do the research deep enough, you will find that in early Christianity, the most popular occupation was not a plumber, not a carpenter, not a seamstress. The most popular occupation was a physician. Early Christian writings bear this out. As a matter of fact, hospitals and the science of medicine exist today because of ancient Christians believing that even if they did not have the miraculous gift of healing, they were still to follow the Messiah's command to heal the sick in any way possible. So they would learn what was available to them for healing and medicine at that time. They would learn it, and when somebody got sick, they would apply it even if they didn't have the gift. It's kind of like the difference between somebody that speaks a bunch of languages because they've learned them. My great Oma on my dad's side, my great-grandmother on my dad's side, she could speak seven languages. I can only speak one. I didn't listen in high school in Spanish class. <laughs> I wish that I would have now, but she could speak seven languages. And if you could only speak one language, she would tell you in German, which was her first language, she would say, the donkey only speaks one language. In other words, why haven't you learned a second language? <laughs> That's different than the miraculous gift of tongues. The miraculous gift of tongues that fell upon the apostles in Acts chapter 2, they were given the ability to speak in languages they had never learned. Right? So that why? The gospel could go out real quickly to all the different nationalities that were there at the Feast of Pentecost. However, if someone did not have the miraculous gift of languages, wouldn't it be a noble thing to learn a second, third, or fourth language so that you could preach the gospel and the law to people that spoke another language? Sure, it would be noble. Well, by the same token, even though you don't have the miraculous gift of healing, the early Christians believed, wouldn't it be noble for us to learn how to heal through natural means? And so that's what they did. They would read passages like Luke 10 where Yeshua said, when you go into the towns, heal the sick. And they thought, we've got to learn how to take care of people and stay by them when they get sick. Brothers and sisters, ancient history teaches us that Christians would often increase in numbers during plagues and loss of population. I read some accounts this past week where Christians were being persecuted even to the death. This was prior to Constantine declaring Christianity a legal religion in Rome. Christians were being persecuted even to the death, but then all of a sudden a plague hit and people started dropping like flies. It's called the Great Plague. And the pagan or the Greek or the Roman physicians, you know what they did? Got out of Dodge. You know which physicians stayed back and helped not just their friends, but helped the very people that were persecuting them? It was the Christians. And the pagans would see this and the compassion that these Christian physicians would have as they would sit beside their bed and risk their own life being lost through sickness or plague. And they would say, there's got to be something about this guy. Or there's got to be something about this gal. Maybe we ought to take a second look at what they believe. So Christians would increase in numbers and plagues. They were the ones that would stay by your side, whether friend or enemy. They would be your physician during sickness and disease, even if it meant their death. I would ask all the naysayers to go back through the sermons with an open mind and an open Bible 
and ask Yahweh to soften your heart to His truth, whatever that may be, and only His truth. And then, after you do that, I would encourage you, whether you're a naysayer or a yaysayer, I would encourage you to find and go and talk to a believer who has had a transplant. Or go find and talk to a believer who suffers with depression. Go find and talk to a believer who has battled with cancer. Go talk to somebody else that has a different life circumstance than what you've had. And listen. The old timer said Yahweh gave us two ears and one mouth so that we would listen twice as much as we speak. Brother James said in the New Testament, everybody be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Open your minds to realizing that everybody's not the same. Different people have different experiences. And we need to be compassionate to people's experiences. And just because somebody suffers differently than we do, we don't need to throw them away. We need to love them with the love of the Messiah. My final word, and I promise this will be my last sermon on this subject. This is my final word. The Apostle Paul one time, he was writing to a church and he said, finally, my brethren, he went on to write three more chapters. So, Finally, always, 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 go to Yahweh first and pray to Him. If you're sick or diseased, you go and ask Yahweh, Yahweh, heal me. If you're healthy enough to fast, fast. Make a sacrifice. Pray. Read the Scriptures. Lay on your face and worship the Yahweh. Ask Him to heal you. Never leave Yahweh out. Go to righteous people that you know and ask for prayer. If you find a prophet, have him or her pray for you. Make changes in your diet. Seek to put good things in your body to help it function properly. Drink plenty of water. Exercise. Go out and get good sunshine. Take good whole food vitamins. But if you need to, seek out a doctor or medicine because that might be the avenue that Yahweh will help and heal you through. I love everybody here. May Yahweh bless you.